yeah. I love my HBCU. And Bond? I love it, love it. I love it, love it. I love my HBCU. And man. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. Man. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. 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 I tune into the HBCU Sports Lab to see if my team won a loss. If they lost, I'm quiet as a mouse. But if they won, she tab. Uh, I'ma do the dab, yeah. Dr. Cavill, yeah. he know what he be talking about. Talkin Mike about. and Charles, Talk. they know what they be talking about. Talkin they about. compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna love yeah. And who the ball, who the ball. So listen to Professor Yes Sir, yes, and pay attention, boy. cause he gon' teach a lesson. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, proud day. <laughs> got none other than Corey Cavill, my nephew, out of the greater Dallas area. Got his offer signing with Prairie View. Wide receiver transferring from ULM. This brother that's already twin brother that is already at Prairie View studying business had a lot of putting this together but uh, boy you talking about a proud uncle shout out to Lori Chael and then I gotta give a little love to little brother Kwame wide receiver getting it done so family affair we gonna give a shout out to the Ben Cavill side out there as well all them big folks his dad played Prairie View football back in the day winning championships his brother went to Prairie View. He was there a couple of years while I was there as well. Uh, mm. the family. So, you know, we doing what we do. You know, shout out to, rest in peace to my grandmother that was a uh, nursing major up there. Did her thing as well. Grandfather, first of two graduates of the ROTC program when they first started. Inaugural class down there. So a lot of history for the Cavills and Cavills out there. We just adding on to that legacy. Hey, I can stick my little chest out a little bit now. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, it's going to get a little interesting now. You talking about being a fan. I'm, a, You know, it's a little different when I'm neutral and all this. And all of a sudden, yeah, celebration for Atlanta, man. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Y'all might have a little problem now, fam. You, I know y'all was excited about coming down there, homecoming. We gonna see what this C A V I L does. We got a lot of other weapons out there, but you add that little piece of the puzzle. It's just some about it. it comes out on that Cavill and Cavill side. We get, we go down. It go down. You say in Texas, it go down. It's going down. Well, you know what, uh, Doc? It might not matter by then because. Uh, they could be, you know, bidding for the FCS playoffs around that time. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I, I'm gonna take. Look, I'm gonna I, don't know how to, I don't know how to take that. You know, some of us supposed to be excited about the FCS playoffs, but I think the way that you're saying that is not a good thing in this case in terms of the fact that uh, there's a swag championship game after the season we played, and then there's a celebration bowl bid. So, I think you're trying to tell me that my money gonna be funny because you know. Playing in that in that uh, SWAT championship game is like a million dollars, pretty much for each school. You know, seven fifty to one point two five, depending on the size of the stadium, how you get all that plays out. And then we know you know the celebration bowl that's over a million dollar check. So, um, and I'm hearing from what I was told, you know, little back signal as I call it in. There was some checks written out. Pretty much nobody got lower than a million dollars from the SWAT this year. Wow. Some folks took home about $3 million when you add all that together in terms of celebration bowl. I, I, I don't want to tell no names, so that might be saying too much. People <laughs> can probably do the figuring, but, you know, so if your hands come out, some folks got some checks, you know, $2 million checks written, $1.5 million checks, basketball championships and things like that. A couple of folks did pretty well when they went and got the uh, spring meeting come-ups, if you would, or uh, some folks were looking pretty good coming back to their 
home state and city depositing that check from the swag. So I'll just say it like that. Yeah. Good morning. The, 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 the question is, Doc, where, where, where would the deposit ultimately end up? Back at athletics or back at the general fund? Yeah, that's a good point when you talk about the institution. And, um, I could give a list in terms of who puts it back in athletics and who does the general fund, but uh, that may be above my pay grade in terms of some of those athletic directors. I don't want to get anybody in trouble at this time, nor some of those presidents, hot there and chancellors. <laughs> yeah. They might not I'll take facilities. They put it in the facilities. Saying, I happen to know. I happen to know who put money and reinvesting it back in the athletic programs, which is the point you're making. Mm -hmm. is a good one versus those that are paying the debts uh, in regards to putting it back into the general fund, paying off that upfront money that they got from athletics. Speaking of this, before we go to y'all and, and give me anything off your chest, is uh, last segment, I want to get in to some of that news that came out on NCA in regards to the new governing rules that looks like will be accepted at the FBS level in regards of going to a $5,000 check to $5 million check. Um, I know some people were nervous and frustrated and those things, but um, as I just told you those numbers uh, in terms of distribution, and that's going to go up over the next two years and doesn't include any renegotiation of an ESPN deal, that $5 million is not a long stretch in terms of the return on the investment as some people may seem to be. So uh, we'll get in a chance to talk about that a little more. But let me go to you. Uh, any other news of the day that you want to get out there? Yeah, uh, let's take a look at uh, uh, Tennessee State University. Uh, that was a, a huge press conference yesterday. Tennessee State University is set to make history by becoming the first HBCU to offer men's ice hockey at the collegiate level. Uh, uh, TSU will make this groundbreaking announcement uh, at Bridgestone Arena prior to the 2023 NHL draft, which was yesterday, uh, June 28th. Uh, the addition of the ice hockey highlights the university's dedication to fostering diversity, inclusion, and expanding athletic opportunities for students. So uh, big news coming from uh, Nashville is they're bringing ice hockey to Tennessee State University. Look out. Let's go. Hockey, ice hockey. Make it on those. Man, that's an expensive sport. Let me put that out there and be Ooh. frank about it. That is expensive for some people say uh, besides football, it's probably the second most expensive sport that you can play. Uh, you got to throw an equestrian in there that can get pretty expensive as well in terms of that. But uh, easy to say top five most expensive sports. So fascinating to see the commitment that Tennessee State uh, is seeking to make. Starting at a club level, uh, it'll be intriguing to watch how fast they can get, you know, varsity D1 level in terms of that and how that's going to fit with uh, travel. Obviously, we got U of H, uh, University of Alabama Huntsville that has is a Division II program, but they play hockey as a Division I program. So that's a regional uh, component there in terms of what that looks like. So it'll be interesting in terms also, of skill. You also got Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt uh, has club hockey also, Dr. Kavir, right there in Nashville. Uh, you know, uh, and maybe if they – go together in on a facility that may help with some of the costs because, you know, it's not like you can just go anywhere and play hockey. So with the two of them, <laughs> you know, maybe they could combine and, and have a shared hockey facility if they both take it to the, uh, to the varsity level instead of the, uh, of the club level. Just, just throwing something out there uh, with them. No, that's a good point in regards to looking at how you make it work. Go ahead. Just out of curiosity, I mean, who are they playing at the club level? There's a lot more club level teams than you think about in that regional area, but um, you, you going a little bit deeper into grab bag in terms of what that looks like. But at the club level, you can pretty much play anybody, uh, regardless of division, as you know. Um, and so you'll find some of those regional teams um, you don't necessarily have extended schedule like you see with lacrosse. Mm -hmm. um, they play like 15 games, 13, 12 games, and that's really before conference playoffs. And so you're not playing a large amount of games, if you would, uh, hockey. So that's one thing. But you're thinking about where you're going to play your home games, uh, the partnership. You're going to play anything over there where the Predators play in Nashville. You know, is that going to be open? Practice, how does that look like? 
So I guess more information to come, but it's going to be fascinating uh, to even see what this means in terms of Tennessee State hockey becoming the first HBCU. Glad to see they're using the HBCU terminology to describe that partnership, <laughs> HBCU uh, and regards uh, to being that first. I got to laugh. Doing it, so. Yeah. Despite the fact that all the alumni won't baseball back. But I digress, Dr. Kabir. Let me get into my news and notes for the day. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. A lot of folks do seriously want their baseball program back, which stopped in the 80s, a couple of years after they joined OBC in terms of that. Now they have the partnership with the Big South. So it's fascinating. A lot of things going on at Tennessee State in terms of their athletic programs. Uh, with that being yeah. said, Drew, any uh, news that you wanted to share before we go to this first break? I'm, and, and I'm going to make this quick, Dr. Kabir. Uh, you mentioned it about the new requirements for becoming an FBS program. And I just want to highlight quickly, you know, luckily over the last couple of weeks, we've broken down a lot of the data, uh, here on not only your show but on uh, the sports wrap on Sunday, one one of the uh, data points that they said was six million dollars in athletic aid for FBS. Well, since I broke down all that data, I just actually happened to have some numbers at Dr. Caville. Obviously, none of us right now are at six million dollars, but I'm just going to give you a short list of people who are within shouting distance. I want, I want to keep that as a tease. I want to keep that as a tease because I want to do a oh. full segment. Let's do that last segment, and we're going to go back in there and really get into this in data because I don't want to rush it. That is too good quality information for us to try to uh, rush it and not really get the depth. We'll come back and talk a little more about what that looks like. So great point there, perfect tease. We'll get in here and come back on the other side. We'll have an interview for you. So stick with us with our first break. We'll come back. Uh, talking about the Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball Player Association with the Youth Development uh, Program. And we'll talk with our guests then. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this break. Charmin Ultra Soft has so much cushiony softness, it's hard for your family to remember. They can use less. Sweet pillows of softness. This is soft. Holy Charmin. Oh, excuse me. Roll it back, everybody. Sorry. Charmin Ultra Soft is so cushiony soft, you'll want more. But it's so absorbent, you can use less. So it's always worth it. Now, what did we learn about using less? You gotta roll everybody <laughs> we all go why not enjoy the go with Charmin since 2002 empowerment resources Inc a nonprofit organization has empowered more than 1500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties through its programs journey into womanhood girls mentoring life skills for teens and parenting education coaching to get involved with programs volunteer or donate visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org follow us on social media facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowerment jax t madden and associates is a sophisticated and experienced law firm located in your neighborhood we're turning injury to cash T. Madden and Associates obtained almost $2 million for my injury. They turned my injury to cash. Now, we can't guarantee how much your injury is worth, but we've recovered millions for our clients. Call T. Madden and Associates at 833-PAID-123. That's 833-PAID-123. Press the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna love, love, love and who the ball, who the ball. 
So listen to Professor Yesler And pay attention Because he going to teach a lesson This is Dr. Gavilla's Inside the HBC Sports Lab With Mike Washington, Charles Bishop Back from a break as we promised With the great guest Gene Bastros um, Executive Director Of YDF That is Youth Development Foundation I'm so excited about this interview Gene, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for the invitation to speak. Oh, it's our pleasure. Pleasure, excited. For those that may not know, uh, MLB and MLBPA uh, have a collaboration, joint initiative, as they like to say, with the Youth Development Foundation, YDF in short, uh, which is the partnership with Major League Baseball, MLB, as you know, and the Players Association. And we have the executive director that you probably have heard about this HBCU swingman. Well, the responsibility of that coming together and making that happen in a lot of ways. And I can kind of see a little bit of the sweat on your brow, how much work you've been putting into that, Gene. So let me say thank you off the bat because I know your time is precious to get in there. How you doing? I'm doing great. Still putting out some fires and excited about getting on that plane finally and heading to Seattle. I bet. <laughs> So let's just jump in here before we get into the meat of this conversation, because we have you for two um, quick segments. But as we do that, uh, let's introduce you to our fans and followers out there. Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, if you would, and then finally, how you got into baseball. Well, do we have two hours? <laughs> <laughs> That's up <to> you. <laughs> Well, I'll be quick so we can get to the important stuff, which is talking about our HBCU players and Ken Griffey Jr., our global ambassador and a dear friend of mine. Um, well, on, on myself, I've grown up around the world, Canada, the U.S., L.A., worked all over. Um, I have a labor relations background um, and I've worked with youth and philanthropy. Never thought about getting into philanthropy and I was on a board in Japan for four years and it really moved me. Um, and I, you know, do my own personal philanthropy, but um, sports has always been really important. You know, I grew up playing sports. I was a, you know, scholar athlete as well. And at this point in my life being so blessed, um, I have my own son that I've raised. I just feel that I need to give back. And what I see happening today across our country um, after being recruited by the Players Association and the Office of the Commissioner, what a unique role, right? So Carol, Carol Reynolds likes to say, I'm the Switzerland of baseball. And... <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's a it's a cool and challenging job, um, and I love it. I, I feel like I have the best job in the world in this industry, and I have great people I work with. And what a better mission than growing this game, you know, increasing access, reducing barriers. And, and we all know that baseball's just gotten too expensive. You know, who can afford $30,000, $50,000 a year? So what I'm trying to do is, build as many complexes and facilities and fields in local communities where kids can walk to it. So families can congregate there, um, you know, paying for programs, equipment, uniforms, educational initiatives, because when we make our kids stronger and keep them safe, you know, we make the entire community safe. So sometimes I build fields and facilities in neighborhoods where there's a food desert. Well, then afterwards, mm. you actually see businesses move in right? Mm. You have affordable homes being built around that community. So for me, this is more than baseball. This is about strengthening our country, strengthening our youth and creating major league citizens. You're talking about using baseball to develop communities. Um, that is a beautiful thing. I know this includes the HBCU Swingman Classic, but a lot of folks may be familiar with the Hank Aaron Invitational, which is in the Bellywick as well, that's been around for a while. Um, as we move in and talk about that connection, um, how did Ken Griffey Jr. come connected uh, with this program? Well, Junior's our ambassador and friend. And in the past couple years, you know, he spearheaded this effort talking to us. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with him and his father, you know, Senior gave, you know, a lot to baseball. You think about his career. 
And Junior, as a young boy, was in the dugouts and, you know, being coached by his father. And then, of course, we know what happened with Junior, you know, being this amazing player, spokesperson for our game. And he really felt like with all of his opportunities, he needed to give back. And he wants to also serve as an inspiration and role model for kids across the country, but also for kids who look like him. So the purpose of the HBCU Swimman Classic, yes, we're getting 50 top Division I athletes on the field on a national platform to play at the highest level. But at the same time, we're inspiring kids who are going to watch this game in the ballpark or on television and say, you know what? That player looks like me. Look at what Ken Griffey Jr. has managed to succeed doing. Look at Andre Dawson, who's one of the coaches, or Ricky Weeks, the Golden Spikes winner. I mean, I can be like them. And, and so that's the message. You need to see people who look like you to feel inspired to play the game. And that's what we're doing. That's a great point. Charles, yeah. you want to get in here and ask a follow-up? Sure. Sure. Uh, Gene, I'm very fascinated by, by this initiative, and, and I'm a huge baseball fan. And one of the questions I wanted to ask was, you know, much like we see the development of, of baseball players in, in through academies. Gene, he thinks he can still play the game. I, I do think. <laughs> <laughs> but, but much like we see uh, development of baseball players uh, in, through academies in Latin American countries, uh, is the YDF kind of set up in, in a similar fashion? I mean, you're referring to academies and we have major league clubs that have set up academies and we've been part of that solution. But what I care about is really getting into local communities where there aren't necessarily, you know, a major league club or even a minor league club um, putting resources there. You know, there's an upcoming project I'm doing in the Mississippi Delta, Um you know, and, and the way we find these projects is by actively going out there. I mean, I'm on the road a lot. And with my network, trying to find these gems or forgotten communities where back in the day, we know that African-Americans and Black Americans have been so involved with this wonderful game. But, you know, we've lost them to some of these other celebrity sports. And there's a reason for that, because if you don't have a facility to play in, I mean, how, how can you possibly play our game, right? And, and you need to be equipped, but you also need the knowledge by coaches to know how to play the game and to be mentored, right? It's not just only the skills. And so what the Youth Development Foundation does is we find opportunities across the country. You know, we've given out over $25.1 million in the past few years. I came in as the first executive director and I'm just so proud to say that our industry and in partnership with both the commissioner's office and the Players Association, you know, we've given out all this money, over 270 grants across 40 states and territories and counting. You know, there's more than that coming through the door. And, and that's like n still a small amount for all the work that we need to do. Mm. So when you talk about the approaches in Latin America... Yeah, there, there's some of that. But at the end of the day, we're getting right into the backyards of our communities. Sure, sure. It's fascinating. Fascinating. And uh, I wanted to sort of follow up and ask a question in terms of uh, you mentioned the cost, especially associated uh, with the uh, growing uh, baseball. But uh, how do we make the connection, especially uh, looking at HBCUs? How can uh, HBCUs benefit from an investment into their baseball programs? Well, the Youth Development Foundation, you know, investing in things like the Hank Aaron Invitational, where we have 250 young men, diverse young men playing at a really elite level, being coached by 40 former major league players. And, you know, hearing from the commissioner of baseball, hearing from Tony Clark, the executive director of the Players Association, other executives in our industry about how to stay in the game. It's not just about performance and mindset, but if you don't make it, to college baseball or to play professionally, you know, there's opportunities to stay in the sport. And that's what we're also doing in Seattle. Um, and so we're creating the pipeline into HBCUs with all this money. Because if you think about it, if we can inspire kids in all these local communities across 50 states in our country, and we're showcasing, look, HBCUs have strong baseball programs, but often they're overlooked. And then they're overlooked by scouts as well. 
And so that's another big reason why we need to have this Swingman Classic happen and, and to return at every All-Star game to showcase the talent and to ensure that these kids can get into the MLB draft. So it's it's very exciting for us. Sure thing. Wow. Gene, I want to go back in terms of the facility development before we take our first break and we'll come back and focus just on the HBC Swingman this year's event. Um uh, but as we take a step back, how does a community, individual, whatever that looks like, um, get into position where it, it gets to the point where you're developing a facility that you spoke about earlier? And like, what is the process in terms of the length of time? Can you give you know some frameworks of what that looks like and how that program is developed? Sure, would ha be happy to because that's our job. We we want to give out mm -hmm. as many grants as possible, right? We we want to help you and um and we know that folks like mom and pop organizations and leagues they don't have a grant writer on staff. They've never necessarily put together a budget. And I have a fantastic team that you know I lead and and they hold their hands through the entire process. We know how difficult this is. Um, so depending on the size of the project. You know, some projects, they can happen really quickly, where if it's a smaller grant, $10,000 and under, um, as long as you, you know, submit a proposal with all the accompanying documentation and it checks off, we can get that money moving pretty quickly, you know, towards, you know, some renovation or equipment. Um, the larger projects in the six and seven figures, you know, that, that takes a little more time because we also have to do our due diligence. We have to make sure that we have capacity on the ground. We have the correct leaders that are going to implement and actually do what they're telling us to do. So if you visit our website, www.baseballydf.com, you will see the entire process to apply and submit an inquiry. So that's a first step. It's not even an application. It's just, this is my story. This is why we have a need you know, submit a budget and some supporting documentation. And then from there, the team reviews it and there's probably a follow-up interview to get to know you a little better, understand what's happening. And if it, you know, fits what we're interested in funding, then you advance to a full application. And that's where the real work happens. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Man, that is <laughs> terrific information to know and I appreciate you sharing it. Stick with us. We can take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side, and we're going to talk about the HBCU Swingman Contest that's during the Major League Baseball All-Star Weekend. This year is in Seattle, Washington. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this quick break. Nope. Nope. Come on, him. Ooh, I like him. The Quicker Picker Upper. Bounty picks up messes quicker, and each sheet is two times more absorbent, so you can use less. He's an eight. He's a nine. Bounty, the Quicker Picker Upper. Now you can live in Texas and not have a good red meat blend. Texas Cowboy Dust is designed for steak and other red meats. It's out to be my most popular spice blend, made with onions, peppers, ground mushrooms, pink salt, and other spices. Texas Cowboy Dust also goes great with chicken, pork, vegetables, and has a restaurant quality sheen to gravies and sauces. <laughs> It's like a loot machine. All around town, trying to get down. Vanilla smoked sea salt seasoning is for seafood. The tarragon and fennel bring out the natural sweetness in seafood. I also use it in rice dishes, on yams, asparagus, blueberry pancakes, and believe it or not, chocolate chip cookies. Vanilla smoked sea salt adds a salty and savory component to sweet dishes that create a symphony for the time. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slowburn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website, www dot slowburnwaco.com that's www 
www.slowburnwaco.com Compress the analytic data with your hip-hop If you know them like I know them They gon' tell you if your team If they want a lot left And who the ball So listen to Professor Yes sir And pay attention Cause he gon' teach a lesson this is Dr. Bill with Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. We're with our guest, Gene Buttress, of the Executive Director of the YDP. With that being said, YDF, I should say, as we get into it, let's get into this event. I'm excited about this. Uh, we connected, uh, talking about uh, the baseball tournament there in Montgomery. Uh, the World Series games, and ever since then, we've had a chance to go back and forth. Uh, and you talked about this event, and I couldn't wait to get you on. So let's get into it as our viewers are waiting. Tell me about the event, because I understand it's more than just the All-Star Weekend. It's more than just the HBCU Swingman. Can you give us some insight in terms of what this looks like? Very exciting. It's more than just the July 7th Friday game under the lights, um, ending with a fireworks show. It's, you know, it, it's a multi-day, multi-day event investing in these 50 players. And what I mean by that is from the point they hit the ground after leaving the airport, you know, they're being welcomed with, uh, you know, Nike apparel, like our, you know, our sponsor of all the apparel and uniforms, a photo shoot. Um, they go to a workout, University of Washington, a welcome dinner co-hosted by YDF and Ken Griffey Jr. and the Mariners. And then the next day, there's a coaches and leadership panel um, that's being moderated by Dave Sims. Uh, you know, you have the game, you have another luncheon with the chairman of the Mariners talking about career opportunities and leadership and, you know, um, you know, his experiences. And so what this is all about is we know that not all the kids are going to make it into the MLB draft, right? right. But what we'd like to do is retain them into our industry. Let them mm. know that there's other opportunities. You could work at the office of the commissioner. You could work with the union, the players association side. If you're interested in philanthropy, you know, the work that we do through the Youth Development Foundation. But now that we have 120 minor league clubs and teams under the commissioner's office you know our our footprint has just grown so now you have the major league clubs the minor league clubs you have two different parties um think about all those opportunities and and you know like yourself as a professor a parent an educator you know unless a young person knows about these things and ex is exposed they don't really understand what's out there so we're changing the game. And I will say the Youth Development Foundation, you know, we're we're leading that movement. And I know we're making impact, not just by the investment in communities, but by creating these types of programs. That's powerful. That's powerful. Charles, jump in here and follow up. Yeah, I want to follow up. Uh, we have the Swing Man Series for baseball, but I'm just curious, uh, is there an equivalent event to promote, to promote women's softball? We don't have anything on the horizon. Um, it's on my mind next year, and I can't let the cat out of the bag. But, ah. you know, athletes, you know, as a minority female. You know, we try to pull it. <laughs> <laughs> Just squeezing me for information here. <laughs> we'll, we'll say this. Whenever you're ready to break it, just let us know. We'll bring you back. Exactly, exactly. You've got it. It's a deal. Uh, so, yeah, female athletes, they're they're top of mind. And, you know, that that's kind of like the next horizon um, that I would really like to invest in. And, and, and similarly, you know, I'm glad you brought up softball. Softball is another affluent sport that isn't very diverse. Mm -hmm. And what we know about, you know, diverse athletes, female athletes, I mean, they're powerful. Right. And so we can find a way I'm investing in softball programs So we don't have a showcase game. So there isn't any kind of formal program right now, at least through YDF um, MLB is doing some stuff, but, you know, stay tuned. That's definitely top of mind. Well, you know, I, I took a look at the, the, the athletes that are, are participating in the Swingman series. You have some phenomenal players that are uh, coming up there to play. Uh, we got an opportunity to watch them in the SWAC baseball tournament. Uh, they, they, you have, there is some talent uh, that is playing in this in this series. Yes, very exciting. And I expect um, some of them will actually, you know, be at the MMB draft. So uh, we're, we're going to keep our eyes on that. And, and, you know, just keep watching because the underclassmen year over year, I think you're going to see them um, 
out there and eventually, you know, creating impact and giving inspiration to other kids across the country. Oh, no doubt. Speaking about that development, how would you like to see this grow and in what ways? Well, I think it's a start that it's going to Arlington next year because we're not leaving All-Star Week. Um, this is a reoccurring event that is so important to bring to every All-Star game. And so as we move across the country, it will give opportunities to families that can't afford, you know, to get on a plane and go to Seattle. I mean, Seattle, love Seattle, but it's a far way away. <laughs> um, you know, next year will be in Texas and so forth. So, you know, when you think about the communities surrounding each of these locations, it just offers opportunities for schools to get engaged, you know, RBI programs and leagues um, and other folks interested in HBCU baseball. When I looked at Seattle, my wife's been to Seattle. I hadn't been to Seattle and Deuce and I love to go different places. So we were looking to get in there, but I couldn't get out of a meeting, but I did my homework. I did see where it was in Arlington next year. And uh, he's already made sure that it's noted that I will be there in uh, Arlington. Obviously it's in the backyard, so much easier to make that travel, but I've carved out that time, looked at the dates and I've already marked it off on my calendar and make sure I had that space. So. I look forward uh, to being at the event next year in Arlington. Although we will be on our couches and making sure we're watching it this year. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, Gene, I want to uh, follow up a little more in terms of um, how can people get more information about this event? If you go to the MLB's website, um, the All-Star Week, where you'll see the different events that are happening in Seattle, You'll learn more about the Swingman Classic and also on the BaseballYDF.com website. Our website has a great page talking about the Swingman Classic and what we're doing to grow the game, diversify the game. Um, a lot of media interviews out there as well and following our social handles. We're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Instagram. So great social content all over the place. Good deal. So final, as we let you go, uh, we always like to end with uh, allowing you an opportunity uh, to talk or share with our audience any any information or components that we did not ask you on our questions. You guys are so professional. You you really did a great job covering the different aspects, you know, of our event. Um, you know, it's not the first time we've spoken, so you know a lot about what we're doing and and how it's how important it is to kids um, in all these different underrepresented communities. So I would just say to the listeners out there, I hope you'll look at our website, call us up and find out how you can apply for a grant and about funding opportunities because you know, we need partners out there and we can't be at in all 50 states. And so if you can find us, you know, we're happy to learn about what you're doing on the ground. Well, it was our pleasure bringing you in to talk about all things that YDF, uh, the Youth Development Foundation, the partnership between MLB and the Players Association under your leadership as executive director, all the things that you're doing, including the HBCU Swingman Contest. We look to hear more information. I know you have a very busy schedule, so we just want to say thank you. Uh, for coming in and sharing with our audience um, what this is all about and providing some details that people just couldn't find anywhere. So I want to say thank you for your time. Look forward to this event and wish you the best as you move forward. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You guys are the best. No problem. We'll be right back after this break. We'll come back on the other side and do our last segment. Stick with us, Dr. Bills, inside the HBCU Sports Lab. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay, 
Call Cuvée. Compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna lock, yeah, and who the ball, So listen to Professor, yes sir, yes sir. And pay attention, cause he gon' teach a lesson. This is Dr. Bill with Inside the HBC Sports Lab. I hope you enjoyed our interview, taking you inside Major League Baseball, uh, Major League Baseball Players Association with the Swingman Classic. A lot of good stuff that Gene is doing over there. So I hope you enjoyed that. Obviously, we like to bring you a little different stuff as we get into the summer months. Uh, we have a couple of things. Look for us on Tuesday as we come back and break down the next seven teams that we have in terms of the top 21, remember on Tuesday, we went from 21 to 15. We come back from 14 to 8. I uh, had the contest where I asked Charles and Mike, what were two or three of the teams that were in the mid-major division? I asked them, as you watched, A.D. Drew, what were in the major division? And they named each one of the teams, uh, each one of the teams they named were in that next seven. A couple of teams they didn't. Uh, so the only thing they have to look forward to see where they're ranked at. But I was like, man, these guys are good. And I didn't tell them ahead of time, Drew. That means, that, that, that means like minds think alike. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's what happened when you – Yeah, that, 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 that means we were sipping on the same stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, See, I was going to give y'all another level of credit. I was going to say it's that alpha, y'all. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Alpha is sipping on the That's same That's why stuff. we have you producing on the show. You are here regular. You're very smart, man. Yeah. With that being said, we teased uh, coming out of our first segment before the interview. Uh, we had a perfect tease with you having done the numbers that we talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, on ticket sales, and we had numbers breaking down revenue expenses. And it would be perfect timing with the news that came out. With the NCA, the Division One Council introduced legislation proposals. Remember, this is proposals, but this has not gone in effect yet. Probably likely will. Proposals that would change membership requirements for FBS. That's the football bowl subdivision. If adopted, all FBS schools would be required to provide 90% of the total numbers of allowable scholarships over two-year rolling period across at least 16 sports, including football. Schools also would be required to offer at least 210 scholarships each year, amounting to no less than 6 million in athletic scholarships offered. These requirements would take effect August 1st, 2027. If this is passed for existing FBS members and for schools already transitioning FBS memberships, moving forward for schools applying to transition the FBS beginning in 2024-2025, and thereafter the requirements would have, have to be met by the end of two-year transition process. Two years to figure it out. Lastly, the council also introduced new legislation that would increase the fee to transition from FCS to FBS from 5,000 to 5 million. That was a big buzz on social media platforms. It adopted the change would be effective immediate for schools initiating the transition process from that point forward. The fee would be reassessed regularly. So we'll get in some conversation here, but before we get into your thoughts on that, we're going to have Eddie Drew do some breakdowns in regards to the numbers associated with the scholarships so we can get some indication. I will give some clarity in terms of scholarships at the FCS level, FBS level, just for some people to have that. I kind of poked the bear on uh, Twitter earlier today when people were putting out there and kind of their hair on fire. And I was like, if you just look at the return on investment, $5 million is not significant. I just gave you some breakdown of the distribution checks that were in the swag. So you starting to see those are significant. So over a period of time, if you're planning for this, um, that's not something that is really unrealistic uh, when you're talking about making that move, even though for a lot of folks it kind of uh, shut them down. The other thing here is the fact that it's almost as people think you're starting from zero when you hear this number 210 in terms of 
scholarship. You're already Division One. You're playing FCS. Obviously, you have the additional. If you're doing 60, 63 some scholarships, you got to get 85. So you're talking about 20 some scholarships that eats up towards that 210. And a lot of programs uh, that have the full allotment of sports uh, may not realize that they're at 170, 175, 180 type of scholarships already. So it's not a big delta when you start thinking about it, lower maybe 150 in terms of that. So before we get to the breakdown from AD Drew, um, and then I'll come back and have y'all give me thoughts on what he breaks down in terms of his correlation he made, just, Charles, what are your general thoughts in terms of this news, in terms of uh, the potential for this introduction of Division I uh, FBS moves? Because everybody has talked about for a while, obviously with some HBCUs thinking about moving to the FBS level. Obviously, you had information with Jackson State and Coach Prime, and you had your concern with, you know, institutions going to be serious about attacking this. Obviously, a commissioner, when he – did the expansion, there would be a long-term plan in regards to taking SWAC schools to the FBS in a group type of format. It does have to be noted currently at the NCA there is no legislation that would govern the process of a conference moving to FBS. This all this mm. information that you're reading here is about mm. independent schools mm. going that route. Mm. Obviously, there was previously some legislation that um, you would need to give an invitation to a conference. But people kind of wave through that. You saw Liberty there, independent of other schools. So you can, you, know, you can get around that and become FBS. But with all that out there, when you saw this news, what were your thoughts? Uh, my biggest takeaway was the hurdle is not insurmountable. Um, when you really, you know, just kind of take a look at um, whether an institution has that, that, that want it's something I, I, I had I, you know, yeah. continuously take a look at. But I, I don't think the hurdle is so high that you can't overcome that hurdle if you're really seriously uh, or, or looking at moving up to where the money actually is. And that's the FBS uh, level. <laughs> and you, you are right on the money when you talk about that. You know, you've seen the study I've done. All of y'all seen the study I did 10 years ago. And this was before the playoffs. And how the money exploded there, and now you see any television contract money, at least between the Big Ten and SEC. Obviously, with the expansion of playoffs, we haven't seen the money. That was just estimates. So you're right. Mm -hmm. It's going to explode. So you're talking about significant money out there. There's a lot of reasons why they're trying to put some of these roadblocks, obviously. But, Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I guess the first thing – you know, I, I think the line, a line of demarcation has moved between, to me, between FCS and FBS. And what do I mean by that? There's a, a fee, I believe, was it five thousand to five million? Yeah, yeah five thousand. Um, that that's mathematically that's no that's a whole order of magnitude of about ten x. You know, so my question is, why such a steep jump? Who does that impact right now? And who's in the process right now that may slow or put obstacles in that process right now? And it, uh, the other one was this 90% number of scholarships must be provided. What's that number now and what's the change? And again, who does that impact? So those kind of questions start floating around in my head. I, I know AD's done some a tremendous job with the numbers, and I haven't delved into that a little bit more, but I wonder what institutions, what divisions, what schools is this really impacting? So yeah, You're speaking just like an engineer in the NBA when you talk about that Delta 90%. What does that really mean? I like that. From the other first part that you talked about, uh, I think it is important to note that they did do some mathematical formula to get from 5,000 to 5 million. They took the average uh, money associated with teams of what they were offering at the FBS level, uh, multiplied it by some number, maybe five or something over some period of time. And that's how they came up with this $5 million. So they did say they had a mathematical formula to it. Again, that's speaking uh, and getting some information about doing some research. Uh, I won't, go specific, but I do know the specific way they did the calculation uh, in regards to that. Um, but it, it may affect uh, um, the 
four or five teams that are moving the FBS level. And there's say there's maybe about eight some teams that are currently at the FBS level that have some work to do to get over this threshold. Yeah. But it's not a lot if you think about that. It's less than what, 15, mm -hmm. maybe 20 some schools. Yeah. So yeah. just to give you some indication of, of how this may affect some institutions. Some of them will have to do some work, but it's not as big as it looked like because many of these schools are already operating it. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Or far beyond it. With that being said, Drew, going to you, because uh, both Charles and Mike make excellent points in terms of questions and thoughts. You can give your thoughts and then uh, get into a little bit about what did you come up with the numbers and research that you already crunched and the question that came to your mind that you wanted to look at when you started doing the next level of research in regards to when this report came out. Well, I'm kind of like Mike. Uh, that 90% probably looked like the biggest hurdle to be out of any of the numbers that they put out there because that's going to require a uh, paradigm shift in our mentality because we know football is fully funded. We know basketball, both men's and women, tend to be fully funded. But when you talk about baseball with three scholarships and softball with 2.5 and all the non-real sports, that's what the come-up is going to be, I, you know, it's you got to do the five million dollars plus you got to do the come up with scholarships, and when you add all that together, that may be the hurdle for the FCSs going to the FBSs. The scholarships probably independently, possibly the five million dollars it as a as, as just a separate variable, possibly if if you separate all the variables. But when you put all those variables together and the work that people have to do, it's going to it's going to require a change in mentality and culture. I I got to fall about. I got to give all my tennis scholarships out, and then yeah, what that ten percent? Which one of those coaches is going to be is going to be that one who feels the ten percent? <laughs> and, and, and the next thing you know, that coach who feels that ten percent. Is going on to going on to another institution because the other non-rev coach got all his scholarships, but you took two of mine, or you took one point two of mine, you know. Mm -hmm. And the last thing about the scholarship that people have to understand: when we when you go in football, you go from a equivalency sport on the FCS level to a head count sport on the F. BS level. Great point. So yes. those scholarships that used to get split will no longer get split. So those are just a couple of things on the scholarships before I get into the numbers. Go ahead and get into those numbers. Great point. All right. Uh the two the two numbers uh that I that I could easily pull out, uh the 16 sports. Right now, based on the data that I presented over the last couple of weeks, six of the 12 schools in the SWAC currently offer 16 or more sports. Uh, two of the eight schools in the MEAC and in the Independence, only a and offers more than 16 sports. Well, we know Tennessee State uh, has 15. They about to get to 16 with that hockey. But uh, oh, my bad, I should, let me digress real, real fast right there. <laughs> uh, the it's other just one- club. It's just club, just <laughs> club. Just <laughs> Thank you. Just close. They got it. To, they got it to twenty-seven, y'all. That That's we don't know. They got to twenty-seven. Yeah. So, and the plan yeah. is for it to be a, a Division One varsity yeah. sport. Yeah. And the other one was the six million dollars in uh, athletic aid. Uh, I'm going to just give the schools that are within shouting distance of that about and when i say shouting distance that means based on the 22 numbers they're four million dollars or more and i will point out anybody who's over five million dollars so if i don't say if i don't say five million then they're, they're between four and five million going through the swag alphabetically you have alabama state texas southern going through the b act at five billion, you have Delaware State. Then you have Morgan State and Norfolk in in the full range. And as an independent, 
you have A and T at four point six. So those are the those are the institutions that are within shouting distance of that six million dollars. Without you know, we know those two schools for the swag. If if that uh, TV money continues to be like it is, they'll have the money to go to that six, to go towards that six million dollars if they choose to do so. Whereas the BAC and uh, A and T may have to do a little bit more work. Great points. And before I get uh, your thoughts on that, it's also important as you talk about the equivalency is at the FCS level, you can use some of that. All of this is essentially called grant aid, but obviously um, in the FCS level, you see a lot of institutions that will use Pell Grant money, which is going to be different at the FBS level. There might even be a slighter uh, number in terms of that. But I thought your point you made in terms of the television money goes along long regards to making this work. So it's going to be fascinating to see what that looks like. And that's where, to me, it gets in more intriguing questions with North Carolina A&T, part of the move that they talked about uh, moving from the Big South, at least when you talk to the fans and the Colonial, is to prepare eventually for an FBS move. How does this affect that? Obviously, part of that, if you're going to try to do it independent, becomes extremely difficult. And then that means you're looking for a conference invite. So fascinating to see what do you got to do to put your position to do that. Tennessee State put that out there, their interest. Obviously, it becomes tangible. You see where they are in terms of sports. You got to first increase your sports numbers, and then it's about increasing those scholarships. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, with these various variables um, in terms of what it looks like from a SWAT perspective, from those institutions that are moving it, uh, thinking about it from a more global conference perspective, essentially with no governance rules out there of how you make a move as a conference. Tennessee State, in terms of their move with OVC, partnering with the Big South, what does it look like for them uh, seeking to make an FBS move? How do they go about it in regards to that? And then North Carolina A&T, uh, in terms of their colonial membership, how does that look like? So great points that you bring to the table in terms of the various models that are out there and how folks are took it, looking at this. But based on what you heard, Charles, in terms of what Drew put out there, in terms of some just basic metrics and data points, what is your secondary thought now that you hear more? Uh, well, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to sort of put it all together, you know, in terms of uh, going back to the first statement, you know, uh, that is not, that is not insurmountable and trying to, you know, gather everything that Drew has kind of put together and, 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 and just sort of rethink this, you know, the, the hurdle, you know, uh, whether there is still a, a hurdle in place. Uh, and then the, the points that you put out there in terms of does it shift the the strategy, at least uh, from what we're looking at with North Carolina A&T and Tennessee State, because, uh, you know, that was kind of the scuttlebutt in terms of, you know, they're they're moving from conference to conference. So uh, it's, it's I guess the data is so fresh, you know, it's, it's just trying to, you know, kind of put it all together. And, and uh, I haven't quite put it all together yet to make to see how it actually uh, fits together. And you're right, because that's probably one of the most important things is people tend to look at one data point mm -hmm. and make a declarative framework, whether they can do it or they can't do it, versus what you are bringing to the table to make this move and really provide analysis on this. You really need to look at all these various data mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that you bring a lot to the table when you start talking about hey, let's look at what's out there currently. What are these new rule guidelines? What is the formula in terms of different programs looking at it uh, in, outside of the HBCU conferences, inside of that? And that doesn't include those members of MEAC with any of them thinking about their ability to maybe make a move and what does that mean for them in terms of the membership in the MEAC? So those are all great points when you talk about really – looking at this from various angles in terms of what that talks about. I'm coming to you, Drew. I'm going to go to Mike and get his analysts on these data points and what you put out there, and then we'll come back to you and kind of get your final thoughts, and we'll close it up. So, Mike, I know you are big about the data points. Where are you? What are you thinking? 
Yeah, and kind of listening to 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 AD, um, I was kind of this thing. Number one is going to mean different things, different hurdles to different conferences. You know, he talked about the MEAC. How many schools, you know, have this much to go or below this point? I think you said what was it? Two schools that uh, two schools that had the uh, that currently had the sports, and with the athletic aid, there were three schools that had $4 billion or more in athletic aid in the BA. So stop right there. That's one data point. You look at the SWAC, you have more schools that are in that situation. So correct? More, more that, schools that, that currently have the sports, but all those schools that have the sports don't have uh, the athletic aid. But, bingo. Right. And j just though, I, I, I haven't looked to see how many – have actually both. I, I I didn't look that deep at it that to see how many point. of those have both. And that's why I said but, it's going to be different. But thing. it's not all of them. Yeah, not not all these schools have both sides. So it's going to be a yeah. tougher hurdle for some schools because both sides don't have both. You look at the MEAC, you know, you see fewer schools who are on this side of the line. You see the SWAC, it's kind of a hodgepodge of where you're at, whether you have the funds, whether you have the scholarships. And then what does this mean also for the uh, schools that are in the Colonial Athletic uh, Group, uh, Independence? What does it mean for conference churning uh, in those schools? So I, I think this now, this bar is going to be different uh, or this line of demarcation is going to be different for different HBCUs. And I'll narrow it down to HBCUs than it will for other schools because of where they are at. Whenever you make a major financial move like that or a major uh, legislative move like that, you have to look at the institution and where they're at. And then you have to look at what's the line and where do we go. For HBCUs, you're talking four or five different places. Do we have the scholarships? Do we not? Do we have the teams? Do we not? Do we want to move this place? Do we not? So the, all of those all those factors that were now being analyzed have now changed. It changes the the, the board for and and what you what may take two years to make a move may now take three years, you know, and and a few more funds. I don't think it's insurmountable. It's just going to move the bar a little bit from my perspective. And I'd have to dive in a little bit more in the funds, but. You know, based on what you're telling me, this is going to mean a whole lot of different things for a whole lot of different institutions. And that line of demarcation has just moved a little bit. Yeah, good stuff. Excellent points by all of you all. Uh, in terms of the sports, uh, you looked at Norfolk State at their $4 million. And remember, um, this is total granted aids and not just full scholarships. So that's something to think about. But just something to play with in terms of the $4 million. When you talk about Norfolk State, MEAC school uh, in terms of what they offer in terms of the number of sports uh, to get to you, you talking about 15, so they're one short, one sport uh, short. You also were talking about Delaware State in terms of what they had when you look at the number of their sports, they had 17. They have both. So they're above that for a million, 17, so no problem for Delaware State, which would surprise a lot of folks when you talk about their enrollment numbers. Uh, being at 2,160. That's just undergraduate numbers in terms wow. of enrollment. Right? Mm -hmm. And this is from uh, 2021 in terms of enrollment numbers. So, you know, you always got to think a year behind. You're not in your current year because you're taking a year to get that data in uh, from that sport perspective. You look Doc at Morgan, seems, Morgan seems State. very much like a case study. I do, I, yeah. I do have a question. Let me put the yeah, only I, yeah it is a case study. I, uh, I'll let you get that, that, that statement in, and then we'll bring it to a close. Morgan State at five thousand two hundred fifty-one. When you look at the number of sports they have, you're talking about fourteen. Um, and then uh, let's look at some of the swag schools that you uh, talked about in regards to what was going on. When you look at Alabama State, they're above that threshold number, uh, magic number four million again. Remember what we're talking about, but they're at 18 sports in regards to that. So um, they're taking care of business in terms of sports and the revenue that they're putting out there. Uh, FAMU, uh, when you look at them in terms of what they put out there, uh, you have uh, 14 sports, uh, as you know, in Texas Southern. Uh, and they put out there, you're talking about, 16 sports. So just to give you some indication on those numbers, 
just so those that are viewing will know that. But go ahead, Mike, your final statement question, and then we'll bring it to a close. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just more of a question as we look at those numbers and how much revenue they have. Does this, you know, is a large part of this impacted on what percentage of that funds is allocated or not? Yeah, that's a whole other set of data points, Mike. Cool. Perfect way to give some folks out there the lab listeners a little more homework to do, including okay. Drew. Yeah. Go ahead, Drew. You had a final. My, my, my last question and North Carolina AT is the beta test or the case study for this. If one of our HBCUs make this move, how much of these other variables will be affected when they leave this HBCU culture? Will the revenues be affected? Uh, attendance, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, donations. Exactly. Yeah. a t is our yeah, living yeah. case study right now on this. That's the team that, that we need to bother. If I was any other HBCU, let a t do it. Let them figure it out. You know, Learn from their good improve on their bad before anybody else tries to do it. Good stuff. You want to make them the sacrifice state over yes. the last 30 years, so that wasn't mm -hmm. the best case study. Thank you mm -hmm. for listening to Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. Make sure you share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. I am Dr. Bianca Caville, the Dean of HBCU Sports, coming from Inside the Lab in the College of HBCU Sports with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop, and A.D. Drew. Again, we want to thank you for listening to Dr. Mills Inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 o'clock Central Standard Time. We look forward to you next week as we discuss the latest news in the lab. Follow me, Dr. Kenyatta Caville, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Inside the HBC Sports Lab 1 on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Inside the HBC Sports Lab. Make sure you check out the ONG Strike Zone. Download my JVN, my BCSN. Uh, always check out Brian and AD on Sundays on Sports Wrap. And you can check out on Saturday, Carlos Brown on the Carlos Brown Show. With that being said, dream big. Continue to move forward. We will talk with you soon. Charles? Of course. Mike? Lecture. Drew? Drop a like. Dismissed. <laughs>